0: This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programs or for more information, go to NewsTalk.ie.
1: Good morning. Trinity College and UCD Students Unions have proposed that students should be forced to attend classes in sexual consent due to concerns about date rape. How has a generation of people reared in a world of hypersexualization arrived at a point where they can't tell who does or doesn't want to have sex? Edmund Burke said, What use is liberty without wisdom? Of college kids today, more liberty and less wisdom than ever before. In studio, Annie Hoey is Vice President for Equality and Citizenship at the USI. Ellen O'Malley Dunlop is on the line. She's the outgoing CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Angela Nagel is a writer and lecturer in the University of Limerick and she wrote her PhD on anti-feminist online movements. And David Langwarner is Dean of Law at Griffith College. Um, Annie, uh, can you tell me what is going on on college campuses in Ireland today day that renders sexual consent classes necessary?
2: And um, Well, first of all, we wouldn't uh, force anyone to go to a sexual consent class. I think that's kind of flies in the face of what a consent class is. It's they're, they're put on and they're an option for people to go to. And what we're finding on campus, we did a Say Something survey there about two years ago and we found that um, 16% of female students had experienced unwanted sexual contact. So out of that, 11% was unwanted sexual contact and 5% was rape. Um, and a further 3% had experienced attempted rape. And 1% of males who responded had also experienced rape. So, I mean, those are quite serious figures. What's an unwanted sexual
1: advance? I mean, because to me, that could be a pass, that you make at someone, which may be declined if it's not welcome. But reframing it as an unwanted
2: sexual advance is something different. Well, we said unwanted sexual contact, so it had okay. to be specifically, you had to be touched in yeah. a way that was sexual, so the definition was obviously genitals, breasts. So there was a, a, quite a specific definition. It wasn't just mm. someone hitting on you, and you didn't want to be hit on. We, we, that's not what we would define as unwanted sexual contact. It was quite clearly physical contact in an area that was sexual. Um, so there were sixteen percent of women had experienced. Or 11%, I experienced And that. do
1: we know if this is worse than it used to be 25 years
2: ago or is this just something that we're now concerned about? It's just something we're now concerned about. That data, That's the first time that data had been collected there in 2013. And since then, um, a few other colleges have done individual um, surveys um, and have found in or around similar results between 15 uh, to 20% had experienced unwanted sexual contact or rape. So very specifically, again, not unwanted sexual passes, but specifically contact, being touched in areas that they had not consented to being touched in, areas that were sexual. So why are the classes important and what are they going to do? What's in the classes? Well, so the classes, I mean, we've been running consent workshops for the past two years, and now they're kind of becoming a little bit more national and mainstream. So, for example, NUIG have developed a smart consent workshop. It's with a team of researchers. In IT Tralee, they are rolling out consent as part of this uh, health sciences courses so some colleges are actually just tying it into their courses some law courses are tying in what is, what is what is the legal definition of these things obviously there's not a legal definition in Ireland but around that area the legality of it so it's something that's been tied in in a couple of areas but now in TCD the students themselves have requested consent classes this came from students it wasn't coming from the top down the students themselves saying we actually want to. we want this we want this is as part of our course.
1: Um, Angela Nagel, um, why do you think this is necessary? Because to me, you know, I was in college and this is supposed to be intelligent people. Um, students are older now going to college than they used to be because of the transition year. Um, why do they need to be taught
3: how to behave? Well, I don't think they do need to be taught. And um, I'm glad to hear that the glasses aren't compulsory because um it's certainly I, i've seen it reported in that way i that think they, what's
1: happened is trinity and ucd students union have proposed that they should be mandatory but right. usi is saying that they they shouldn't have to be mandatory. yeah
3: i would i think that's a much better approach if they're a place where for example uh, students can discuss these things then that that's great i mean i have no problem with that whatsoever um if they were mandatory that i think that would be a problem. Um, because as you say, uh, it kind of uh, flies in the face of the whole idea of a consent class. Um, And I think you would see a lot of protest because how do you penalise people who don't attend and all of that? But if it's a place to discuss it, I think that's fine, because we are at the moment at a kind of completely historically unprecedented situation where you have unchaperoned dating, uh, marriage is being delayed further and further, sexual activity is going in the other direction, it's younger and younger. um, And I think that's worth discussing. I think consent in that context is worth... Um,
1: Ellen O'Malley-Dunlop, is part of the problem here that you have a generation of women who've been encouraged by feminists, and I think in particular the music industry, that hypersexuality is the epitome of female liberation? So when you throw in alcohol and Xanax, you've a large cohort of women who've been reared to look like they're sexually available, but they can't actually cope with the sexual attention they attract. I don't think
4: it's as simple as that, Sarah. I think it's, it's a very complex area. Uh, I think that I really commend the students for asking for these classes. And uh, I have, you know, been at an experience working with the students on our own uh, ask consent campaign uh, last year and uh, i must say they're most they're very impressive uh, but what we have seen is an increase in uh, victims attending the sexual assault treatment unit and much younger children uh, uh, being victims of rape and sexual assault uh, there was an increase of 37% from 2000 from 2014 to 2015, and um, when you, when I mean, uh, there was a reference there that we don't have a definition of consent in our, uh, 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 you know, a statutory definition of consent. It's something the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre have been pushing for for a long time, and the new Sexual Offences Bill uh, hopefully will have an amendment that will have a definition of consent because I think people don't appreciate what consent means. And uh, we have seen uh, a rise in, sadly, in uh, victims of rape and sexual assault coming forward. But that's good because they are availing of the services.
1: Yeah, but Uh, say the Rotunda, the sexual assault unit there, they have seen an increase in patients who are concerned, and this is their phrase, that unwanted sexual activity may have occurred, but they are uncertain due to memory loss associated with alcohol intake. And benzodiazepines are a problem there too. Do these sexual consent classes include advice that, um, you know, you shouldn't render yourself incapable of providing consent?
4: I think uh, the sexual offences classes in at third level, you know, open, it, it's a, they're, at, they're discussions where all of these areas are uh, discussed with the young people. But I think if we go back a little a step further, to secondary school there's a SPHE programs that are really good programs that are not being delivered in secondary schools and that's why I think there's a huge gap when students go to third level Uh, there is a gap in their uh, education and I think that that gap is being bridged by these classes and they're not about uh, like the, the classes are putting out questions to young people to ask you know, what they think of of them, giving them the experience are facilitating the young people, exploring these big questions for themselves and coming up with, you know, supported and guided uh, uh, solutions for themselves. And one of the whole big areas is drink and alcohol and drugs and also the fact that when people are in situations where they are very drunk, uh, that there are, sadly, there are perpetrators uh, waiting to prey on people who are in vulnerable situations. or
1: maybe they're just drunk themselves, and everyone is on a misadventure rather than in a potential rape situation.
4: Well, you see those are the the gray areas that need to be explored and teased out, and I, I think that, that that's what these classes afford the young people to do as well. and I think that the whole drink, the whole, how young people are drinking, uh, how not just young people, but how people are drinking needs, uh, a, 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 that's a much bigger conversation. And I think that the way in which we have our celebrations in Ireland, uh, we need to look at that. For example, you have people, you know, every, alcohol is at every every celebration, but sometimes to excess. And young people are seeing this from first communions right through, Mm -hmm. you you know, other celebrations. And we need to take responsibility as adults.
1: David Langwalner, there's a a website in the UK called Everyday Sexism where um, women recount things that have happened to them. And I thought this was an interesting example and maybe relating to what we're talking about. This girl said, I spent the night with a boy I had a crush on. I woke up to find him sexually assaulting me with his hands. I curled up trying not to cry. Now, you see, he thinks that's probably consensual sexual relations. She thinks it's an assault. And I see a situation there where men are very vulnerable to accusations of things that they may not be genuinely guilty of.
0: What well, can I go back initially to a point that has been raised, which I think is extremely important? If you introduce compulsory consent classes, you would be violating people's constitutional rights of privacy and liberty and choice. And I am totally against anti-libertarian agendas which force things down people's throats. And I applaud the attitude of the Students' Union in general in resisting any compulsory classes because I think that's a nonsense and goes against fundamental principles of rights of liberty and privacy. Um, uh, Nonetheless, I welcome cautiously what everybody is saying, that, of course, these are desirable things. And it is desirable for both men and women and uh, both to understand... Uh, the dimensions and of sexual activity in a, a world that has become, in your words, hypersexualized, mm-hmm. uh, where people have gone from a repressive Catholicism uh, and me- methods of social control to perhaps the other extreme of outward libertarianism. I mean, sexual conduct is a form of responsibility, and it's a form of uh, love and an attribution of your own dignity as well. Um, and is
1: the key word there outward? that a lot of this is outward liber- liberalism, well, but inside, we're actually just still the same people making mistakes <clears throat> and getting some life experience, which has well, well, now been reframed. Well, well sure,
0: I, I don't think one should be too judgmental uh, <laughs> okay, about sorry. the sort of things both you and I probably did in our youth as well. Um, uh, and if age mellows you to some degree, it, it, it is a sense of responsibility for excesses you might have engaged in when you were younger. Um But it is also the case, I think, that we have gone from one extreme to the other. I don't want to appear like a moral majoritarian, which I'm not, of course. But sexual conduct is a form of personal responsibility, as all other forms of conduct are a form of sexual uh, or personal responsibility. And both men and women, to answer your question directly, can be victims in this context. Men can be victims of false allegations in the precise uh, quote you Uh, read to me. I mean, she did go to bed with him the night before, and that may have led him into a certain level, however mistaken and false, of understanding of what the nature of the encounter was. Um, So I think you have to look at it from both sides, and both men and women have to be increasingly sexually responsible. It it is also the case that the lady from the Rape Cry Centre makes an excellent point, which is, I mean, we are a nation of drunks, I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, And our attitudes towards alcohol consumption rather than tea, coffee, chamomile tea or any other form of refreshment um, is not a good thing. Uh, And of course, once the lines are blurred and two people are drunk, or one person is drunk and one person is less drunk, then questions of both legal and moral attribution of responsibility in a sexual encounter become very grey and very complicated. How
1: does that work? Because alcohol isn't mitigating for when you commit a crime. So, uh, what uh, effect does alcohol have on responsibility if you're the victim of a
0: crime? Well, well, I mean, there are all sorts of things about this. I mean, there are all sorts of arguments about whether drunken consent is, in fact, consent or or, or not consent. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter remains. uh, There are degrees of drunkenness as well in terms of of, of a situation. And there was a a case in England, wasn't it, involving a footballer where... um, the lady was um, uh, didn't remember, didn't recall precisely what had happened, but the man was convicted. Um, I, I, I'm not judging these things, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a anything other than an objective way. But I think we have problems in relation to levels of social responsibility, yet excessive levels of libertarianism, fueled by excessive levels of alcohol consumption.
1: Angela Nagle, what do we know about? Has behaviour actually changed? Because when I was in college, there was a lot of messing going on and things were put down to embarrassment and experience. Are they the same things being reframed in a different way or is there something different happening on college campuses now?
3: I mean, the general trend, um, you know, at a very large scale is that human violence of all types um, is is dropping basically, certainly in parts of the world. Um, And that includes sexual violence. Um, But I think the big change on campuses is really uh, and, and, you know, this is is it's interesting that this is very focused on campus because I couldn't find any uh, Irish equivalents. But certainly in the American statistics, I could find um, college campus uh, rape and violence and all kinds of things are lower than they are in the general population. So I do think there's a bit of a class dimension to why there is such a panic around campuses. You would think from the way it's reported that campuses are, you know, these places where rape is just epidemic mm. uh, and that they're islands away from the rest of society in that sense. Um, and that's just not true. Uh, I think the reason this is coming up on campuses possibly is because of the context of um, the way that sexuality is changing. Things like Tinder, um, you know, it's often said that the right one, the... Um, economic war, but lost the culture war, you know, the conservatives are increasingly kind of disappearing from public discourse. So in the absence of that kind of conservative analysis, um, other things are are taking its place as a way to, uh, you know, describe problems that young people are, are feeling and experiencing about their sexual oh, yeah, You rights.
1: mentioned Tinder there. How does social media change the the world of sexual adventure on college campuses? Well, it
3: opens up all kinds of problems like uh, the case recently in UCD where, I mean, allegedly uh, there was, it was reported as revenge porn, but I mean, we'll see what it, what it actually turns out to be. But it seems to be that um, Uh, young women's uh, naked photos are being shared uh, without their consent, obviously. Um, So all of that stuff comes into it. um, And I think that kind of creates some of the context for why this is coming up.
1: Um, Ellen O'Malley, that thing on date rape, you know, that maybe 25 years ago, if somebody went to bed with a guy and they were drunk and they woke up the next morning and they weren't sure what happened they chalk it up to bad experience and resolve maybe not to get themselves into that kind of situation again. Is that something that's now been reframed into something quite more serious and sinister and that legal action ends up being taken as a result of it?
4: Well, I I think, uh, you know, raising awareness that, you know, men are vulnerable in these situations as well. But I think that situation, the scenario about, uh, you know, a man girl waking up and she had gone to bed with the uh with the guy the night before yeah. and he is he is he's um uh, having uh, sex with her um and that you know has he I guess that it's raising awareness about if you have sex with somebody uh, the night before, it doesn't necessarily mean you want to have sex with them the next morning. Yeah, but it's
1: not. Uh, so, it wouldn't be unfair on the guy to assume that you would, because waking up having sex with someone is not an unusual experience. Well, it,
4: it's not if you're in a long-term relationship and you know somebody very well, and uh, you know. But but if it's if it's you know if it's some if somebody you've just met. And, and maybe you, you might not want to have sex with them in the morning, or whether you're in a long-term relationship or not, you might not want to have sex with them again. Yeah. So, but all I can tell you, uh, Sarah, is that when a woman has, ha, uh, has sex with somebody when she doesn't want to have it, and she knows herself that this is not something she wants, she has after-effects that are very akin to somebody who's been sexually assaulted. So that is the situation, you know, mm. whether that is her body responds in that way and her being responds in that way afterwards.
1: Um, Annie Hoy, I don't know if you're familiar with Cindy Gallop. Um, she's um, um, a woman who has set up a thing called Make Love Not Porn. She's an older woman who has relationships with younger men and she began to um, realise that they were behaving in very odd ways and that they'd actually learned the their sexual techniques from porn because they've been watching it so much of it on the internet. Um is is that something that is a problem on campuses where the nature of sexual experience and sexual information has just changed radically in the last fifteen years or so?
2: I think we've such easy access to things online, we've easy access from a much younger age. Um, to these images online and you know, children can get to these pornographic images and see what people are having. I do think that has an, an effect in terms of how we expect sexual experiences to be what we think it's going to be like when we go in to have sex with someone and the sometimes an immense disappointment maybe that the first time you have sex you're not swinging out of the, the ceiling or something <laughs> like that. And that is something and that would be something that I think as part of like second level education around sexual health that that needs to be made very clear that when you're having sex with someone, it is not like it is either in, in the movies in Hollywood, these wonderfully romantic scenes with candles and stuff, or it, it's not going to be this um, outrageous athletic um, 45 minute experience, perhaps. Maybe maybe it will for your first time. And that's great. But, you know, I mean, there is does need to be a, a reality check. Like what you were seeing online might not necessarily be reflected in, in your sexual experiences. David, going back to the sexualization I, 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 yeah. of
1: society, when I was driving in today, there's a new Coca-Cola outdoor ad. And it's for Coca-Cola. But there's a man and a woman. They're beautiful. And you can see that they're just about to kiss. It's quite erotic, actually. And there's a bottle of Coke, you know, just beneath their lips. And, like, do conservatives have a point? Well, because this where this I, I am very has interested
0: in that point because I, I, I gave an interview touching a point you implicitly made to Trinity News recently. Uh, What concerns me is our distorted sense of morality. We're obsessed with sexual activity as a form of morality, but not economic morality, not questions. The right have won the argument in this issue, and they shouldn't have. What? Sorry, what do you mean
1: by that? Well, we
0: have homelessness in the street, oh, yes. ho- huge levels of eviction, uh, uh, social in- inequality in terms of the redistribution of wealth and resources, mismanagement management of the economy, a commitment to neoliberalism, which is a farce, and we're still talking about sexual activity as the main moral issue. That is not to diminish sexual morality or sexual activity as an important so moral issue. So who's issues.
1: in the wrong? Just well, I Well, mean, the right. I mean, right, the, the, right the right
0: are certainly in the wrong on the neoliberalist thing, because yeah. it's a nonsense, and Destroyed um, most of the Western world and corroded the social fabric. Uh, and anyone who apologizes for that uh, is slightly distorted. As far as sexual morality is concerned, I think to some extent, um, and you know me of old, I, I am not a Christian fundamentalist or anything like that, but there are arguments within. Christianity and Catholicism, for layers of sexual responsibility, which I think are arguments of the right, if you could put it in those terms, that need to come back to the fore just a little bit in terms of the adjustments of people's uh, behavioural patterns. And they're also... I don't think these things are left or right. I mean, you can be, as I am effectively a centre-leftist democratic socialist in many respects, but nonetheless you can have a a moral compass in terms of appropriate levels of behavioural patterns. And I do think that this whole um, movement from social conservatism to outright libertarianism has created a kind of sexual schizophrenia among Irish people, which is deeply unsettling and is not, in my view, reflected... I do a lot of representative work around the world now on behalf of the Innocence Project meet people of all walks of nations and all all backgrounds which is not necessarily reflected as much in terms of the interaction between men and women in other countries. What do you mean now? Well I think we've gone from one extreme to the other is what I think uh, has happened it's almost like the doors have opened uh, and the levels of sexual repression that we had until very recently have led to uh, a kind of Libertarianism, which has perhaps gone the other way uh, in terms, and it is fueled uh, to some extent by excessive alcohol consumption. We have a really bizarre attitude towards the consumption of alcohol.
1: Okay, well, look, I have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more after these, and I'll be asking: Is feminism part of the problem?
5: Talking point on News Talk one hundred and six to one hundred and eight.
1: Welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about sexual consent on college campuses this morning. And in studio is Annie Hoey. She's Vice President for Equality and Citizenship at the Union of Students of Ireland. Angela Nagel is a writer and lecturer in the University of Limerick. And David Langwarner is Dean of Law at Griffith College. And on the line now is Dr. Joanna Williams. She's the Education Editor of Spiked Magazine. Just before I go to Joanna, Angela Nagel, you know, feminism. You know, were women sold a bit of a pop in that... Have we been assured that sexual liberation, this is the epitome of female liberation? But we've ended up in this space now where it's really pornification. And we've got these women who don't know how to say no because they think they're supposed to
3: say yes. Well, I think that's why all of these debates are kind of uh, happening right now, because actually... Uh, There were different movements within feminism that had very fundamentally different views on this. And that's kind of the context here. So, you know, so first of all, you had the second wave, which was very much part of the 60s. Then in the in the 80s, really, you had Catherine McKinnon, Andrea Dworkin, the kind of um, quite very uh, staunchly anti-pornography, quite pro-censorship. Uh, wing of feminism and then more recently there's been a huge backlash against that um, and that type of feminism really has has declined. Um, So then That's kind of why I was giving the context of the disappearance of of conservatism kind of in public life, because it's very hard then to articulate problems around sexuality, because obviously young women are feeling like a completely pornified culture, you know, isn't all it's cracked up to be.
1: Um, Dr. Joanna Williams, thanks for joining us. Um, What do you make of sexual consent classes on campuses?
5: Well, just coming back on the previous point there, I I would follow on from that by saying that I think feminism in its most recent form is something that I would label a a form of victim feminism. And I think sexual consent classes really tap into the victim culture in modern-day feminism. And I think they really propagate the idea that women, particularly young women, women students, are victims in waiting, and that all men, male students, are essentially predators potential rapists and I think this is very unhelpful for both men and women to be living under this idea that there is a rape culture that they should be fearful of each other Um, I think in the past students had curfews put on them um, that were patronizing and often patriarchal in nature that were designed to keep women in their rooms and keep them in their place on university campuses And I think nowadays, thankfully, all of those kind of patriarchal rules have gone. Um, But unfortunately, I think the curfews are coming back in. And nowadays, they're kind of self-imposed curfews, which are even worse. They're self-imposed because lots of young women on campus have been made to be very fearful. um, They actually believe that they're living in a rape culture and that their chances of being attacked and raped at university are oh. Uh, uh, well, uh, well uh, just high. just just pot- oppose really it, unhelpful. Y-
1: Well, just to put it in a historical uh, context, uh, my grand-aunt was one of the first women in Trinity College in Dublin. And, of course, women weren't allowed to go to college, you know, 120 years ago because, you know, they were supposed to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, When I attended college about 25 years ago, I came from up the country and I think I arrived with this attitude. Well, all men are after only one thing. And Ah. it's your responsibility to protect yourself from that, not get yourself into stupid situations. You know, has it actually changed what women feel? But it's just put in a different way from one generation to the next.
5: But I think there's something really positive in what you were describing because that freedom and this is a freedom to mix with people of the opposite sex. At the end of the day, and this is going to sound very controversial, I think there is a real freedom, a hard-won freedom in being able to go out, get drunk, have sex, wake up the next morning, regret it, brush yourself down and carry on with your life. And I think that's a freedom that women fought long and hard for and I think it's a freedom that's really worth celebrating i think the problem with the victim feminism and the problem with the consent classes nowadays is it's teaching women that you don't brush yourself off and get on with your life but that your life's over and that you should put yourself in your room and be fearful about life out there i think consent classes are infantilizing they're patronizing I think the young men and women who are at university today, in four or five years' time, they're going to be out there in the real world. They're going to be lawyers, doctors, teachers, parents themselves. And if we're going to say that actually nowadays, now, they can't negotiate getting somebody of the opposite sex or the same sex into bed with them without having classes and instructions in how to do that then um, there's not much hope for them going out there into the world and being doctors and lawyers tomorrow.
0: David Langwallner, you want to get in there? Yes, I mean, I think there is uh, maleism as well. What's uh, that? Ma- maleism is a word that may have been coined before, but if, if it hasn't, I'm coining it now. <laughs> it's official, <laughs> we, we, we copyright right which, which is that um uh, you know males are in, in 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 a certain degree of a quandary and a confusion as to their precise uh, role in society now we have a lot of semi baked feminism and contradictions within what feminism is i mean feminism is not about the assertion of a woman's point of view because they're a woman or any great level of entitlement simply because you're a woman we do have a an odd Italian thing going on in our culture about the Madonna whore, the veneration of women and the desecration of women simultaneously. And as women are in search of identity in terms of the crisp currents of different types of feminism, so is so are men. If you remember, there was a film a number of years ago called Fight Club that yes. the only thing left for male, male, males to do was to go into this unregulated boxing ring. And of course, to some extent, the debating societies of Ireland historically fulfil that function as well. Uh, of ma- David male is a release. former
1: debater, as I am myself. Uh, that's uh, male what he's about.
0: So, I mean, I do think we're in a uh, an age where sexual identity is becoming more fluid and more plastic. And the late great David Bowie died recently. And he is an exemplar or forerunner of the complexity and the androgyny of sexual identity. And we've reached a point, hopefully, that we're getting to the point of maturity where classifying the human race into men and women Vive la différence, of course, but classifying the human race into men and women as if the roles that they occupy were roles that they occupied 40 or 50 years ago is simply passé. And that males are entitled to rights. Uh, and also, your your colleague was saying, to go out uh, for a night um, uh, and uh, enjoy a sexual encounter if they wish to.
1: Annie, what about the men in all of this? I mean, on the one hand, they're being portrayed as sexual predators. Um. And yet they have been reared in this pornified society in which they're supposed to be studs performing all these tricks. What
2: are they saying in these sexual consent classes? They must be very confused. Well, I think it's uh, it's quite obvious that, that some of the people talking to say haven't obviously gone to some of these consent classes, don't know actually what goes on in them. Okay, like, so tell us. You know, yeah. The consent classes that we would run or that we've seen run are very much about positive sexual health. They're not about people coming in and wagging the finger and telling people you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that, and if you do this, you're a rapist. They're about teaching people how to know your own boundaries, how both people, one person has to ask to have sex, the other person has to give consent. It's a two-way street, it's not But one a lot or the of other. time, you know, in sexual encounters...
1: Sometimes things aren't even said at all. You know that, you know, you can have a sexual encounter and that question is not explicitly asked. It's divined by one move leading to another move
2: and that's fine and there's no uh, no point of the consent class is trying to insert a script into how people like you know you can't have sex unless you say these A, B and C lines that's not what they're about but it should be about that someone we very often hear about people saying well I didn't even know how to say no I wasn't raped but I wasn't comfortable and I didn't know how to say no and those are things that should be taught not we shouldn't be doing this at third level we should be doing this at primary and second level and the fact that we have to do it at third level is a little bit worrying So
1: why actually Joanna I might put this to you then Um, why in an age when women have so much freedom are they lying in a bed not knowing how to say no not knowing how to assert what they really want mm-hmm.
5: Well, I I would actually, ironically, put a lot of that down to the growth of sex education in schools and the introduction of consent classes into universities. I think um, consent classes are incredibly unrealistic. They teach people that there are no grey areas when it comes to sex. And I think, actually, the reality of life is for most people that there are grey areas um, that people do um, as part and parcel of becoming an adult. People have sex, which they then wake up the next morning and regret and that's just kind of life in a way that's that's what people do and that's how people grow up and learn from that experience And, and ironically they then think I won't do that and I won't get myself in that situation again until the next time and they do do it the next time but I don't think that sex that you regret is rape and I think this, uh, the consent classes teaching people, uh, the, the woman who was just on, I mean, she just said, we, we teach people that they have to ask and you give consent, but, but that's not how it works. And it's also not how people actually enjoy or want their sex lives to be. If you look at the popularity, I mean, this is a very kind of cheap example, but if you look at the popularity of a book such as Fifty Shades of Grey, yes, I was thinking about that. Uh, people do not lie in bed at night. Women do not not lie in bed at night and fantasize about someone saying to them, "Excuse me, would you mind awfully if I was to place my left hand on your right breast?" That—that's not what turns people on. Um, people have a different type of idea of what passion and romance and love involves and this kind of constant interfering and niggling in private relationships by telling people sex you regret is rape if you don't have explicit consent if you don't ask for or give consent then this is rape actually messes with people's heads and it interferes with the way that people negotiate their own relationships and I think it's very damaging for intimacy for people's private lives and just for people's ability to grow up and work out for themselves how they want their relationships to be Well
1: David you're the man in the conversation Well I've already
0: <laughs> argued uh, uh, for, for maleism um, can I just make a very important point Yes which I think brings some of the strands together I'm increasingly concerned about thought control and state intervention in people's private activities whether they be sexual activities or whether they be curtailments of freedom of speech and freedom of expression I do think there are two things going on there is the triumph of unjustified of neoliberalism, and yet the state and institutions cracking down on the most important one values of the Enlightenment, liberty, privacy, and freedom of expression. Now, I have nothing against consensual classes of this nature, but to mandatorily force people to do so will be a slippery slope towards a society which is ever increasingly curtailing expression, uh, choice, freedoms that have been preciously won over numbers of hundreds of years by men and women.
1: Um, Annie, I, um, my 12-year-old son was asking me last night what's the show about today and, uh, and I told him, you know, and we ended up having this conversation which probably 20 years ago there's absolutely no way I would have been expecting to have with a 12-year-old boy um, but it felt appropriate and um, is that where actually these conversations need to start? That young before activity even begins.
2: Absolutely, like consent when we when I talk about consent at a younger age, it's about knowing how children can say actually no. Do you know what, Granny, I actually don't want to hug you today. That you know, it sounds a very simple argument, but it is like knowing that children can say no and that boundaries are, are allowed. Uh, children should know that they can say boundaries they should know what they do and do not want and then as they grow older and you know maturity comes about you know your son obviously that was the right time to talk about consent with him and as they grow older then in, you know developing that conversation around consent into sexual consent and, and how you appre- behave with another person and how to how to go go through these things and and just something around the, the consent class and the grey areas so that's exactly actually what these consent classes are is because there are so many grey areas that they are spaces that people can come and actually be like well look what is this and how do I do this and I don't know how to do this and hopefully many, many more parents are going to talk to their children about actually this is what consent is and, and have that frank conversation but it's, it's I don't think it's happening as widely as we would like and for it to And yet, happen.
1: when you think about how openly we do talk about sex now and the fact that uh, students going to college are older why are they only having these conversations now?
2: All we ever seem to do is talk about sex. I think we talk about sex on a really superficial level. We talk about have sex, like we can all have sex let's have sex, lots and lots of sex, sex yeah. everywhere that's that's how we talk about it, we don't actually talk about like, well do you know, what does what does that mean how do you do that in a way with another person um, without going down, do you know the, we don't maybe necessarily talk about the values we place behind sex, do you know like this is a relationship you're having with someone, whether it's a relationship for two minutes in the back of a nightclub or a long term relationship for the rest of your life sex are, they are relationships with people and I think that conversation has actually gone away a little bit, where we we do kind of tend to maybe load it up and be like, let's I'll just do this and it'll be great. And, and I do think we need to have actual mature conversations about what it means to have sex with someone, what are sexual relationships, how to be sexually responsible, not in a condemning or condoning or conservative, let's put boundaries what on What about it.
1: Joanna Williams' point that she made that the right to regret sex, you know, is something that's quite normal and turning that into a post-de facto sexual assault you know, is 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 something quite sinister and turning people into victims.
2: I don't think that's what we. I would ever envision mm. the consent things being about, and I think that is a very dangerous road to go down. That somehow, uh, I, I've woken up and been like, jeepers, I probably shouldn't have done that." <laughs> yeah. But I would never, for a second, have considered that to be assault or rape. Joe you know, I, I? I was there. I was part of that. Maybe I should. You know. Yeah. And that, and that's it's, it's important as well to actually know. Well, actually, no, that wasn't assault or rape. So when people are not aware of what these things are. Like There are so many times where you hear people be like, actually, I didn't know if that was or wasn't and I don't know. You need to be able to have conversations. You need parents to be able to say like, you know, let's have conversations around this. How do you do this responsibly or, or in a way that's right for you? Um, and that's that's simply all these consent things are is simply allowing people a space to talk about these Mm -hmm. things what is right for them because they're not being there, there isn't a space to talk about that Younger you're talking with your son about it but an awful lot of people aren't Okay I have to take another break we'll be back with more after these
5: Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108 Welcome back to
1: Talking Point. We're talking about sexual consent on college campuses this morning. Annie Hoey is the Vice President for Equality and Citizenship at the Union of Students of Ireland. Angela Nagel is a writer and lecturer in the University of Limerick who wrote her PhD on anti-feminist online movements. And David Langwalner is Dean of Law at Griffith College. David Langwalner, you want to make a point? Yeah,
0: well, I mean, you know, I've woken up. I mean, you know, we all make mistakes, misapprehensions and miss whatever her name was. Um, And that is a male phenomenon as well. Um, And so this point about sex, you regret it afterwards, is also true. But the next point is going to sound very uh, a product of my age. Uh, But following on from that point, uh, sex should be, at one level, an expression of uh, affection, intimacy, love. And we need to also start talking about things in this complex age of sexual identity that are beyond sexual acts, which have to do with things like companionship, uh, compatibility. They sound very boring things, but they're very important. Mutual levels of understanding, mutual levels of support, uh, and sex should be a product of all of those things that build good relationships. With and that's people the all kind time.
1: of thing the nuns used to say well, into uh, me in school, well, and now they'd be beaten out of the place well, for sex. I'm not
0: sure that all of this conversation isn't uh, leading back to songs the nuns or songs our father taught us uh, yeah. are, are not of some degree of re- re- relevance. I, I think we've gone from a rigidly authoritarian evaluative social structure in Ireland to a social structure of utter confusion as to what values are and what they mean. So, Angela, uh, and so I think that there is a huge level of truth in Christian and Catholic doctrine about some of these issues.
1: Angela, I remember you saying to me before something like, Uh, I hope I get this right now, you know, that in the most liberal societies, you know, uh, that's where you are going to get them poor behaviour because there is liberalism. Is there too much liberalism? We just can't cope with it.
3: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say there's too much liberalism, but maybe there is a kind of cultural libertinism uh, that that you were talking about that... um, you know, that we don't quite know uh, what our values are or yes. something like that. Mm. Well, certainly, I mean, this is all being discussed and that's a good thing. I mean, the one thing I would say slightly in defense of the feminist position on this is that um, uh, feminists, the work that feminists did in kind of consciousness raising around rape, uh, making people aware of it as a problem and keeping it on the agenda, that's, you know, I mean, they're partly responsible for the fact that that generally you know that the taboo against rape is very strong and the figures are going down uh, so as long as you're not um, you know taking away people's civil liberties uh, or the presumption of innocence or something like that but that's a legal issue I, I just think on, in the realm of culture I think it's a good thing that feminists are keeping this on the agenda and actually, I'm
1: glad you raised that because David I want to go on one specific legal point about yeah. you there have been a couple of cases particularly in the UK where men were accused of date rapes and mm-hmm. um, and their accuser's anonymity was protected, mm-hmm. but they're made public. So, for example, there was a man called Mark Pearson who was acquitted after a case last week where he walked by a woman in a train station. It was seen on CCTV that he was carrying a briefcase in a newspaper. She claimed he'd assaulted her. He was arrested, charged. The case lasted a year. His life is in ruins. Mm. And then finally they have the case and they say, all right, you couldn't possibly have done it. But his life is wrecked and we don't even know her name. Is there a case that in these accusations men's anonymity should be protected until they're proven guilty?
0: Or, or both should uh, come out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, the, uh, my Innocence Project teach me, teaches me this. Uh, victims don't in just include people who are victims of crime. They include people who are falsely accused of crimes yeah. or falsely convicted of crime. In of the
1: allocation. UK... Um, the philosophy that victims must always be believed is institutionalized. That's
0: right, uh, and wrong a lot of the time. Um, and what is a victim? A victim is not just someone who is a victim of crime. A vict- someone is a victim if they are a victim of miscarriage of justice. In 2011, I was at a conference in Cincinnati and I met Jerry Conlon. Oh, yeah. And Jerry died recently. And Jerry's life was utterly destroyed. I think I'm right in saying not just because of the incarceration, but the monstrous injustice of knowing he had no, he had done nothing. And when he left prison, uh, the Innocence Project now tries to provide people with post-operative care to adjust to the normality of interacting in society again. And Jerry never recovered. And he died prematurely. So I think of co- I'm not underestimating the importance of victims of real crime. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is, is obviously very important. But equally, we have to understand within the justice system, in all types of offences, not just sexual
1: offences. I'll give you the last are word people on this. Is there um, an awareness, or does it come up in those sexual consent classes, that men need to protect themselves and be sure that they have consent for whatever they're doing for their own sakes?
2: We would say that both parties, um, men and men, female, whatever the, the combination of this uh, sexual triage is, that <laughs> yeah. everyone needs to have consent and um, you need to give consent and you need to ask consent. And that would be a very big part of what we do is we're trying to give people the language of, of consent. We, we live in an Irish sedate where people blush when you say the word knickers. You know, what I mean, it's quite difficult sometimes to ask someone. Do you men this feel good?
1: vulnerable? Do they talk about that in these classes?
2: Not so much, like we don't, the classes aren't like a disclosure class for people to you know, bring yeah. in things. We make it quite clear that they're just a positive sexual health. How do we negotiate these spaces? And there have been times where men are like, like, well, I don't know what to do. And we would always say, if you don't know if this is what you should be doing, you ask if this is what you should be doing. And it sounds, I know, and it sounds so simple and we're saying it seems so simple. But if someone isn't sure what they should be doing, ask, is this what you should be doing?
1: Okay, well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it, a bit of common sense. Now, I know we've been talking in some cases in an abstract way about this issue. If you have been affected by what we were talking about today, the Dublin Rape Crisis 24-hour help and counselling line is 1800 77 88 88. That's 1800 77 88 88. So many thanks to my guests. Thanks to Aoife Breen, who produced. Bobby Kerr is up next. And thank you for listening.